We have been in a series going through John, through the Gospel of John, through the whole summer. Uh, but today we've got a standalone message. Next week is Campus Sunday. Come on, campus. So y'all get ready. Next week we do Campus Sunday twice a year as campus gets back going in the fall and in the spring. So Earl is, our campus director Earl is going to be bringing a, a great word for you out of John chapter 4. And then we've got some special things. Make sure what we do on Campus Sunday here is we make sure you wear your alma mater, your colors, your school colors represent. And uh, we've got schools. We are in campus ministry. We have campus ministry at U of H, TSU, and, of course, Rice right now. So we're very excited about that. Come and help support our students, and it's going to be a great time. You do not want to miss that next week. But before that, this is kind of a standalone message. And for this message today, as I was praying and thinking about what the Lord would want to say to our church, maybe to you specifically, um, this, this word came into my heart the most. We've been talking a lot about Jesus and who he is and who he claimed to be through the book of John. And I want to continue to look at Jesus and who he is and his character because that's what we are all about here at City Life Church. Not looking to a man, not looking to a myth, but looking to the legend, Jesus. Who he is and who he says he is because as we focus and look at him, our lives become changed. Because ultimately, you will become what you behold. So you better make sure you are beholding of the right thing. And Jesus is the one we want to continue to look at. His character, who he is, because our faith grows in him and we watch him do amazing things in our life. Today, the title of this message is Recalculating. Thinking about the terms of recalculating, specifically on our destination in our life. Now, I live in Pearland, Texas, and we are on a few-year uh, now work on 288 Beltway 610. Anybody, any Pearland people here? Yeah? Yeah, woo, okay, yeah. God lives there, by the way, if you're wondering where God is. He's mostly in that area, Shadow Creek probably. I don't live there, but... Um, <laughs> In Pearland, we've been going through this whole, and really anywhere in Houston, anytime there's, there's construction, it's just crazy. And we all know that even though you might know where you're going in Houston, you probably better use an app to get there because you don't know what's going to happen and you don't know what's ahead. And there's nothing more frustrating, I think, when living in Houston, when you're stuck and you don't know why you're stuck. Because anything could happen. There could be a horse up there on the road, right? There could be one person that has been stalled out and everybody just kind of looks at them. And then you have that snake traffic where you're just like, why did we just spend 20 minutes looking at some random person? It's always so frustrating because you're trying to go where you want to go. And a lot of times the worst thing you can do is get off the highway. How many of you guys are get off the highway people? I'm going to find a new route. Yeah, some of you. Sometimes that's the worst thing you could do because everybody does it and then you're stuck. And if you would have just stayed on the highway, it would have cleared up eventually. It's so frustrating but you've got to kind of use a GPS. And so whether you're a Google Maps person, don't use Apple Maps. It's horrible. It will kill you like Michael Scott leads you into a pond. It's not good. You don't want that. Now, you might use Waze. Any Waze people? A lot of you guys are Waze people. I still don't understand how that updates because you should not be on your phone while you're driving. But it's a little crazy. We all use different things. And what those things will do, if you get off course, it will 
recalculate. And now, I don't. The only woman I let tell me what to do is my wife. So I turn the voice off. Uh, just kidding, guys. But I do turn the voice off. It drives me crazy. I'm more visual. And so I turn the voice off. But when you turn it, it's recalculating, recalculate, And it's constantly trying to recalculate to get you back to your destination because you went off track. And it's trying to find the best way to get to where you're supposed to get in the best amount of time to save you time. In life, I think we are constantly having to recalibrate, recalculate where we are as we feel like we're heading this way. But then we got off track and God is up there going, recalculating, trust me, this is the path to get there. And it might not be the most, the fastest path. But this is the direction and the way to get there. And we have to hear that voice that says recalculating. And then we have to trust in that voice and not go, no, no, no. See, because God sees the end from the beginning. He knows the decision. He knows all of the things are going to happen along the path. So he is trying to get you there. But when you go, why am I here? Why am I stuck? And you go off course because you think it's going to be faster or more efficient. You have to be able to hear that voice recalculate because it happens constantly. It'll happen today as your thoughts are going this way or your actions are going this way or your emotions are going this way and God is going, recalculate, recalculate. Trust my voice because I see the whole picture. Trust me. I want to look and encourage you to trust Jesus by seeing an amazing, amazing story that I got to even see as live as you can in Israel this last summer that really stuck out to me, that makes me trust and respond to Jesus in the right way when he is recalculating my life. If you are here, turn to your Bibles. You have a Bible, light it up, turn it on, check out the screen. Mark chapter 4, we're going to look at a little bit of 4 and 5. So just to set a little bit of context, because you know context is king when you read the scripture. We are all about context here. Jesus is in Galilee, which is north of where we've been, where he's in the temple. Um, he's going to be crucified near the temple outside of the gates, which is south, southern part of Israel. But he is predominantly around the Sea of Galilee doing his ministry. A good 80% of his life, he's up there doing ministry and calling people. The crowds are coming. They're seeing him. They're seeing miracles. He's teaching, and his ministry has begun, and he's gaining fame. And in Mark chapter 3, he point, appoints his 12 disciples, says, you guys are going to be the ones that are going to be like me and take the same message that he's declaring, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's not just declaring good teaching, and he's not just a captivating teacher, but he's a healer, and he's working, and he's doing miracles. So people are coming, especially in such poverty, where they can't afford and they don't have the, the medicine and the doctors and the things that they need, some of them don't have the food that they need. They're coming to Jesus as their healer, and he's performing many works, and people are thronging and gathering around him. Verse 1 says, again, he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. This is the Sea of Galilee. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. So he's teaching around the sea, but people are coming in droves. He's got to get out on a boat and have the boat out a little bit on anchor just so he can talk to all the people that were there. 
And he was teaching them many things in parables. So he continues to teach all day long, it says, in parables. Now, let me show you a picture, and this is an actual picture from my phone of Israel in, uh, when I went in May at this past year. And this is the Sea of Galilee. So it's called a sea, but it's really like just a big lake. I mean, really, it's not a huge, giant sea, but it is a large uh, body of water. And where I'm standing is Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was the hometown uh, or, or, or where they would call Jesus' home there because that's where Peter's mother-in-law, they lived. They did most of their ministry from Capernaum. Now, he was born in Bethlehem. He was from, or he were, was raised in Nazareth, which is pretty close to Capernaum. But Capernaum's right off of the Sea of Galilee, and that was where he was stationed, where they would go home and stay, and the people would, would come around them, and then they would go from port to port all throughout the Sea of Galilee, preaching in all of the cities. Well, where I standing right here is on the shore where Jesus would have been where the people just coming all around the shore and he would have gotten a boat and been right out here in the Sea of Galilee. Now I have these words the other side because I'm going to give you a little bit of spoiler of what we're about to read but he's teaching all day he's out on the boat and what we're about to read he's going to call to his disciples and say let's go to the other side. Now, when the Bible talks about the other side, especially a land called Kirsi, this is what it's talking about. So when he says the other side, he's talking about this area and this land. And in this area and this land is this demoniac. You've, you've heard maybe the Bible talk about legion, a legion of demons possessing an individual. This is the same thing. He's teaching all day, and he tells them, let's go to the other side. And this is the other side. This is Gentile territory. We know that because later he's going to cast demons into pigs. And Jews are kosher. They would not have, they would not shepherd pigs. So, you know, it's a Gentile area, which means they're typically not going in that area much. They're staying within their boundaries. But Jesus says, let's go over there. What's interesting about this picture is our, our amazing tour guide, one of the best Bible teachers I know, R.E.A. Bar-David, he was telling us a story of being, uh, doing a tour and being in this area, and he was talking and teaching, and all of a sudden, he could hear voices. And he was like, what is that? And he's not crazy. And he recognized right now, present day, the other side in this area, there is Israeli encampments over there, and he could hear them talk. Because the water was able to carry the sound all the way through. And he's teaching and he's like, stop. And he could hear them and notice. And he looked and saw them talking and could hear them from this distance. Now, that's crucial. Because what you need to understand in the context of this story is that Jesus is teaching. This is his hometown, his area, right? In fact, behind us would be, if you're facing this, behind us would be the synagogue. Right over here would be Peter's house. And so he, they were constantly there. Peter grew up there. And you're about to hear about the demon-possessed man who screamed and cried out day and night. And I want you to picture and imagine with me, they are hearing this crying out daily, maybe for months, maybe for years. They're hearing, ah, ah, constantly, maybe even while he's teaching, they're hearing this in the background. And you imagine, we've been looking through the book of John, and John said Jesus would only do what he saw the Father telling him to do. He says, my sheep hear my voice. If you're a believer, you should hear the voice of God. 
He says, my sheep hear my voice. And then he demonstrates that by saying, I only do what I hear my father tell me to do. So if I'm over here and I see Jasmine and I know she's in trouble, but the father has not told me to go minister to her, it's not her time. I'm only doing what the father tells me to do. I know there's need, but there's also timing. When is she ready to receive? Right now. Come on, Jazz. (laughs) Sometimes people aren't ready. And the father knows. And so Jesus only went where he heard the father. I want to post to you that he's hearing. They're hearing. They've been hearing this guy screaming, crying out, who who we're going to see later is chained. And nothing can hold him down. And the people have just kind of dismissed him and left him alone. And they hear that constantly. You imagine the disciples coming to Jesus going, is it time yet, Jesus? You imagine Jesus crying out to God, Lord, let me go. Release this man. From his pain and his chains. And the father says, wait. See, because we allow God to recalculate our life and we hear his voice. And we go then where he tells us to go. Imagine Jesus is hearing this constantly. And they're wondering when, when. I see you healing people. I see you doing things. When are we going? Look at verse 35. Jesus is taught all day long. And it says this, on that day. When evening had come, he said to them, his disciples, let us go across to the other side. I I believe he heard the voice of the father say, okay, son, it's time. And you know the disciples went, oh, man. Now, I've seen Jesus be the healer. I've seen him. He's an amazing teacher. Like, he draws people. He's so loving. What's going to happen now? Can Jesus handle this? And leaving the crowd, verse 36, they took him with them in the boat. Just as he was. And other boats were with him. I highlighted that because I think it's crucial that you see Jesus teaching all day. They're like, it's time to go to the other side. The disciples go, oh, man, I know what that means. We're a little tired, Jesus, but okay. And it says even as Jesus was, he didn't go get ready. He didn't go get prayed up. He was ready in season and out season. He said, let's go. And then all these other people that are around him are like, well, we're going wherever you're going. Other boats were with him. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. It's one thing to hear God recalculate and you respond and say, okay, I'm going to go this way. It's another thing to stay the course. See, because we have this idea, if God tells me to do something, it's going to be smooth sailing. And yet there's storms. And unless you say, well, there's only storms when God's not with you, Jesus is in the boat. There's storms come. God does not promise us a storm-free life, but he does promise a storm-proof life. And as long as Jesus is in the boat, because what we're about to see is they're going to get to the other side, and they ain't any other boats with them. There's one thing to have Jesus with you in the storms. Another thing, when you don't, you're going to turn around and go, yeah, I'm good. Like many of them did. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Verse 38, but he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on the cushion. The Greek actually says asleep on a pillow. We're going to get to that. Think about that, a pillow. 
And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Imagine how scared they're like, we're going to go. I hear this dude screaming. We've heard of the exploits of these killing, hurting people, and no one can chain him. This dude's crazy. That's where we're heading. And all of a sudden, a storm comes. Jesus is asleep. You don't care. You're talking to Jesus. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Even the wind and the waves obey him. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You've seen things, you're you're still, you think I'm going to call you to the other side and not get you there? Even though there's a storm, I'm going to get you there. As long as I'm in the boat, why are you afraid? And they were filled with great fear. I think because they went, oh, okay, there's a dimension of you that we weren't ready for. And said to one another, who then is this? They haven't quite figured him out. That even the wind and the sea obey him. Verse 1, chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Imagine the disciples, like put yourself in their shoes for a second because the disciples, they, they're, they're done the storm. They see Jesus rebuke the wind and the waves. They were scared for their life. They're going, who, wait, who is this? Recalculating. Who is this? Jesus. And all of a sudden they're on the shore and the demon-possessed guy is running towards them. What are they doing? Oh, gosh. Like, let's get ready. You know, you're this big dude come after you. You're like, okay, let's go. Do some capoeira or something like, I don't know. We're getting ready to fight. And it says this about the man. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, even with a chain. This man had supernatural strength, verse 4. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one... No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, see, can't call me a liar. Among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This is a tortured human being that Jesus goes to the other side to help. Verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran, right? I told you, he's running toward them. They're going, whoa. But then something, all, something happened and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, if you were at our series, Wait, What? Or a couple of weeks ago, we talked about capital G, God. We talked about the scripture talks about little lowercase g, gods. This means a lot more when you understand what's happening in the spiritual realm according to the Bible, 
Now, this demon, the, the, the disciples have walked with Jesus a little bit, and they're going, okay, who is this? He rebukes the wind and the waves. This demon immediately recognizes who he was, and he didn't say, let's go, let's battle. Because we see have this idea of like good and evil, like God and Satan, dark and light, and they're just fighting like this. And the picture God wants to give you is, yeah, evil has nothing against good. Satan has nothing against God. In fact, he created him so he could just thump him away. But now he wants to use you and me to do that. And the enemy wants to use you to do his will as you agree with the things he tells you to do. You go, oh, that is right. And now you give him power with agreement. And the same thing happens with the Lord. God in a moment could crush the enemy, but he says, no, I want to use you. It's your feet, your gravity on this earth, on this land. And I want to put my spirit in you as you agree with me. You overcome the darkness. This man has not overcome the darkness. He's been overcome by darkness. But this spirit immediately sees Jesus, runs, doesn't prepare to fight, bows down. Because he, more than anybody, even his disciples knew who he was. And he called him son of the most high God. Not just this God. The God. The creator. The God. You're his son. And watch what he says to him. I adjure you by God, you know, your dad. Like, yeah, don't torment me. What is happening? See, if you don't have a worldview of what's going on, you're going to read this and go, oh, that's just weird. What's happening right now? Even the spirits are subject to us in his name, the disciples would later say. Verse 8, for he was saying to him, Jesus was saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? What is your identity? Who are you? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him, the man, the spirit in the man, begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. Jesus later exposes, and he talks about demons and spirits, and he, he teaches on this in the Gospels, and he would say this, the spirits are looking for a host, looking for a person in order to come into or to be able to oppress or possess. They're looking for them. They need a host. They want a body. Think of like current day, like Venom. You've seen the movie Venom? Looking for a host. He says, this is how they are. And they look for a host, and they could get cast out and leave. But if that person doesn't fill himself with God, they're going to come back seven times worse. He later has this whole conversation. And so these spirits are like crying out saying, okay, at least don't cast us out of this Gentile area. We want to stay in our country. We're comfortable here. We have a host. At least send us to those hosts. Give us some type of bodily form. It's really interesting. And this is the conversation they're having. So he says, send us to the pigs. And Jesus, being a kosher man, thank God for the new covenant. Bacon is good, Jesus says. <laughs> but, verse 13, so he gave him permission. Sure, you know, we're not eating you anyway. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd numbering about 2,000, which is showing you about how many spirits were in this person, 
rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. I would post to you that they could control this human who has a spirit, soul, and body. But once they get into an animal, they can't control it. And the animal's going no to its death. Verse 14, the herdsmen fled. Imagine, you're going, wait, what just happened? My pigs. And told it in the city, in the country. They go around, they're like, dude, this guy like spoke. And then all of a sudden my pigs died. And they're losing money. Pets' heads are falling off. Like they're upset. And people can't see what it was that had happened. So they hear this story. They're like, let's, let's check this out. And again, this is a Gentile area. So they don't know about Jesus. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man. They've known of him. The one who had the legion. They're trying to make sure. Mark wants you to know this is the same guy. And here's what they saw. They saw that same guy who was chained, couldn't be bound, was strong, crying out, naked. They saw him sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They didn't go, slow clap, Jesus. Dang. All right. See, oftentimes we think if if people just saw a miracle, then they would trust God. Here's the problem with that. If you don't know of God's character, you're suspicious of God's character. See, in all of our life, we have relational gaps. And you know this much about somebody, but then there's a gap and you're going, oh, I don't know. And you either fill that gap with suspicion or trust. Well, I'm going to trust that our relationship to this point, I'm going to trust that person. So I'm going to insert trust in the things I don't know or don't understand. I'm going to insert trust in order to move forward. Most of us insert suspicion. I don't know. And here's what I'm posing to you. They're coming in and they're going, oh, dang, we know that dude was powerful. We couldn't contain him. If you subjected him to your power, uh, I'm not interested It's not, oh, you must be amazing. It's, oh, if you have that much power, you can control me. See, that guy couldn't be controlled, so we had to leave him alone. Ah, I don't want to be around you. Here's what's interesting about Jesus and you see in his character that helps us fill in gaps of trust. When God is recalculating your life so you can step out and go, no, I trust you. You're good. I know you're able And I'm seeing my past. I've seen other people's testimony. I know you can. And I can step out in trust. And here's what I love about this scripture. This word, he was clothed. This is where the pillow comes in. REA tells us. Oftentimes, Jesus would travel a lot. And he didn't carry a pillow with him. Okay? It said, scripture actually said, he just went as he was on the boat. He was constantly traveling, and what you do in that time is you would have like a pillowcase, and you would stuff your belongings and your clothes in that pillowcase. You wouldn't have a suitcase behind you. That would become your suitcase, but it also became your pillow because you would sleep on it at night. Now picture this. Jesus knows he's about to go to the other side, and he thinks, I'm about to go help this man. And when I bring healing, I don't bring shame. 
I don't leave people naked and exposed when I heal them. He knows he's going to go, and he knows this guy is going to end up in his right mind and be ashamed at what he's done and his naked posture in front of people. And Jesus plans ahead because he knows the end from the beginning. He knows where he's trying to go with you ultimately, and he will never shame you. He packs clothes, because where did he get the clothes? I think he thought of this, I'm packing clothes. These are for him. And he heals him, and the man's sitting there clothed. The Bible says when we sin, we are naked and exposed, which is why we're full of shame and hurt and pride. And the Bible says God closes us with righteousness. He never heals you to shame you. When we say, come to Jesus, he's great. Our suspicion goes, no, he's going to expose me. And God says, no, I'm going to heal you. Because I'm actually going to put you in your right mind. So you can trust me when I take you through the storm. Verse 16, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Please leave. I don't know who you are. I'm not hearing your teaching. I've just heard of this one thing. I'm not interested in being controlled. I don't know if I can trust you to take control of my life. With that kind of power, you could use and abuse me. But see, they didn't see who Jesus was. The one who will not shame the one who clothes, and the one who gives you a right mind, a right way of thinking, a right way to agree with God. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, look at this. Jesus is a gentleman. In his mercy, he'll pursue you, but also in his love, he'll let you go. Don't believe me? Read Romans 1. It says, it says there's God's active wrath, which means... Things are bad. Things are coming down on you and God is trying to get you to turn and he's wrathful towards you in action like he was with Egypt. But then the Bible refers to God's passive wrath, which is this, God going, okay, I'll leave you to yourself. And the goal is to get us to a place and a posture to finally cry out and say, no, you need control because I lose control. And hear his voice calling us to recalculate. He says this, verse 19, or verse 18, finish. As he was getting into the boat, Jesus was leaving. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. This guy who's experienced Jesus says, I'm willing to give up my whole life, my, my Gentiles, my neighbors, everybody, my way, my thinking, and go into a whole different land for you, Jesus. I'll do anything. And Jesus says, yeah, they're not ready. The Jews aren't ready for you yet. They're still fighting with themselves. They still think they're the only ones. You stay here and tell your friends and family, verse 20. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, the 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for them and everyone marveled. I think it's interesting. I see three different types in this whole story of people. You see creation, you see demons, and you see people. 
And in this, you see this creation obeys. Even the wind and the waves, they didn't have a choice. Yep, done. Creation obeys. The demons dismay. Don't, don't hurt, but oh, I'm done. But people, we sway. You see people receive. You see people don't receive. See, the Puritans would say this, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. So you can hear the message of God and you either melt or you will harden. It's the same message of the gospel because we sway. We oscillate. We vacillate. We go from one place to another. Let me show you. When Jesus is recalculating your life, how do you respond? Here's the three ways we see. Number one, the disciples, they see his power. They're fearful, but they follow Jesus. Sometimes you follow Jesus because that's what you committed to do. And I do it. I'm a little nervous. I don't know how this ain't working out the way I want, but I'm still following Jesus because I gave my life. I might not be super enthusiastic. In, in fact, I'm very afraid but I think God will even use that, especially if it's a good kind of fear, a reverential fear. You see the demoniac. He doesn't just see the power. He experiences power in his love. And there's many people in this room not just see or hear about it, but you've experienced, man, God sets you free in a dramatic way. He experiences it, and it's creates thankfulness and gratefulness in his heart. And then he's willing to do anything for Jesus. I'll leave everything, do anything for you because I've experienced who you are. I know what it's like to be in darkness and be controlled by darkness. And now I know what it's like to give up control to you. And then, of course, the majority of the people, you see the crowd. See, the crowd just hears about his power. Many of them didn't see it, definitely didn't experience, but they heard about it. And they were too afraid to be controlled by him. If you have that power, I don't trust you with that power in my life. And that's what happens when you don't know the character of God. Today, where are you? In responding to Jesus as he's saying, okay, I'm, I'm recalculating you. Like, quit going that way. You need to go this way. You need to repent. You need to trust me. And it might not get easier. It might actually get harder. Do you trust me that I'm not going to shame you, that I'm going to clothe you, that I'm going to take you through because I see the end from the beginning? Do you trust me? Or are you so suspicious of me? Are you so afraid that I'm going to control your life and take you off course because you know your life. And I think, as the saying goes, man makes their plans and God laughs. Because it's the Lord that ultimately, Proverbs says, directs our path. We have to be people that hear the voice of our shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. Do you trust him today? Are you afraid? Are you allowing him to move in your life? Because I believe Jesus went across that other side knowing he's going to be rejected. But instead of doing something that we would see as a failure, just one person, imagine starting a business. We're going, here we go. One person buys your product, you go bankrupt. But Jesus said, I'm going to the other side for that one person. 
If I can change one life, I'll do it. If I can take someone out of bondage, I'll do it. Many of us in here, we've experienced that from God. But are you continue to walk it out as it's been harder and as he's been recalculating where you are? And as you're tired and as you're weary and as you're questioning and going, I don't know, I thought you were good, but I don't know. And God's going, no, trust me. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I know what's best for you. Even when it's hard, especially when it's hard, that's when the test comes. Will you trust him today? Maybe today you're going, God, we're going to sing this song as we end. God, do it again. And maybe something needs to be reignited in your life to trust him again. Maybe you were that person on the boat, I'm following Jesus, and then the storms came, and I'm not following Jesus. And God's going, trust me that I can do something new in you again. Believe me. Ask me. Call out. Because breakthrough is on the way in God's timing, and maybe the timing is today.